0: Welcome to Church in the Basement, where we seek to see God more clearly and to live a life loving God and loving others. Hey, everyone. So we are still at a dinner party here in John chapter 12, and I know, I thought we were going to move on from it too, but we're not. We're going to stay here at this dinner party Just one more week, there's just one more thing I want to talk about here, and uh, come on, who wants to walk away from this dinner party? We got Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. We got Mary, his sister. We got Martha, Mary's sister, and and, and we've even got Simon, who was formerly a leper, whose house it is. We got Jesus there, the disciples, and Judas, who's just being Judas. Martha is working, Mary is worshiping. Lazarus is a witness and Simon also would be a witness as well cuz we we came to the conclusion that Lazarus was or Simon was formerly a leper cuz otherwise everybody wouldn't be there. So we've got this wonderful dinner party and Judas sort of chimes in which is he's sort of the downer in the room. But I am going to hover on the sp- the topic that most people sort of hone in on within this dinner party, and that's Mary's worship. And I think this is significant and I was going to move past it, but then you get into the other accounts of this dinner party and it says the same thing. And these other accounts are in Mark 14 as well as Matthew 26. And I'd, Let's just read through them, and then, and then let's talk about this a little bit. So, let's start with Mark 14. So, it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Interesting, head instead of feet. Um, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? We know from John chapter 12 that this was Judas, right? For this ointment could could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world— What she has done will be told in the memory of her. So then it says here in Matthew 26. So try and cling to those the best you can. Matthew 26, verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. So very similar to Mark 14. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. But you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we see in both of these gospel accounts, That Jesus is leaning into the significance and the beauty of what Mary has done here. That she took something so precious and so costly, which we've talked about in the past, this 300 denarii. uh, Some equate it to like 40,000, 50,000 US dollars. So what was sort of the average average. household, and I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad if they make more or less, um, sort of the average household income for a year um, was the cost of this perfume, this nard, and it was very fragrant. Uh, I actually heard one, one pastor at one point preach this saying, you may have still smelled this ointment on Jesus as he rose from the grave. You know what? Actually, I think it was Dave Ramsey who said that. I was listening to a bunch of Dave Ramsey stuff this week, and oh, so good. So good. Um, but he may have brought this up too. Um, but this, this point that Mary took this very, very costly ointment, like a year's worth of wages, and broke it on Jesus' feet, just points to her understanding of the upside-down kingdom. That we see John trying to press into and trying to basically get people to focus in on through his gospel account that this sign and this sign and this sign and this witness and, and this happened. This proves Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the son of man, the son of God who has come to save the world, that Jesus was it. And even though we were looking for this Judas Maccabeus, um, this this guy riding in with the sword, which we'll talk a little bit about next week because he's going to be walking in uh, to Jerusalem during the Passover. Very triumphant moment. Very cool. Uh, There's a lot of stuff laced in there. But this was in preparation for what was about to happen that Mary was wasn't missing the fact that Jesus is and was and that him in his person is significant and what he was about to do was significant she was caught up in the person of, of Jesus and she gave everything at that moment she was completely submitted and to go even further with this i just want to highlight the fact that in both so in, in verse 13 of Matthew 26, and then verse 9 of Mark 14, it says, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So basically, the story of Mary and what she laid down on Jesus in anointing him and in in preparing him for his burial that wherever the wherever the gospel goes the story of her will go with and this brings up this point that Jesus is saying you will now have a legacy and it's a legacy of worship it's a legacy of worship and it it reminds me of in hebrews 11 There's this famous part of the Bible, and it's called the Hall of Faith. And Hebrews chapter eleven is all about. It goes through the whole Old Testament and points out these different characters that are marked by faith, who who hadn't, who weren't on the other side of the cross, who hadn't seen the death and resurrection of Jesus, but had faith in something that was promised, in a person that was promised, still faith in Jesus, but a person who was promised. Uh, a Messiah who was promised. A land that was promised. And all that trust and that faith was in God himself. I encourage you to go read it um, this week or this weekend. Because uh, it's really encouraging. Um, and I want to remind you too, as you read through it, I <laughs> what I like to do, and maybe this is kind of sick, but I like to go through with all of those characters and also think about, wow, like... These are normal people who actually were kind of royal screw ups and they're here in the Bible and their faith is what puts them here in this quote unquote hall of faith. There's hope for me like because I can be a royal screw up too. Like I can totally mess up. But as long as my focus that I am so fixated on the Lord that it's going to be okay. Like if I am praying and pursuing my relationship with Jesus and I'm asking God for a, even a love for him and a desire for him each day and my life is about growing in that faith and that desire and that love for him and then the actions that I take are compelled by that relationship I have with him, everything's going to be okay, that I'm getting it, that that is the purpose of life that we would fall in love with Jesus and because of his love for us that we would love others in return so where where was it Luke uh Luke hold on I have it here somewhere Luke 14 Luke 14. Oh, we were in Mark 14, and now we're in Luke 14. So in Luke 14, Jesus makes this interesting statement because I want to point this out. He says, if you don't, in talking about the cost of discipleship, uh, it, it says in verse 25 of Luke, Luke 14, it says, now a great crowd accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, And mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. He goes on to say, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So in the statement, this sounds so harsh, and at a tangible, again, remember we're talking about the upside down kingdom, that things, these things wouldn't be the same um, as the way we immediately perceive them. So in the physical, we just think, okay, he's just asking us to hate people. That's hateful. That's wrong. But what Jesus is saying, this discussion is, is called him, him assessing the cost of discipleship. Right. And the reason I bring this up is because what he's talking about here, um, is the intensity at which we love Jesus and desire Jesus. And if you look back at the Shema, what was recited over and over again, um, back in Deuteronomy, um, what Israel was called to recite, to teach their children, that the Shema was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And it's where, like at Yakima Foursquare, we, we get love God, love people, serve the world, right? It's the Shema. It's, it's what life is all about. It's loving God, loving people, and then letting that extend out to serving the world, that we can be world changers and we can be, participate in ushering in God's kingdom. So this Shema of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength has everything to do with what is being said by Jesus in Luke 14 Verse 25, in that he's saying, Your love for me and the intensity of your love for me has to make your love for your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother, your wife, your children look like hate. Not that it is hate. He's not calling us to hate all those people in our life, the people we love and care about. But the intensity of our love is being called up to that point and he even goes as far as to say whoever does not bear his own cross he's drawing it back to what he has done on the cross or what he's about to do on the cross that we would see his love for us and be so affected by that act on the cross and his person the person of Jesus that our love would just intensify And I see Mary in John 12. So in the midst of this awesome, like she could, she could have totally got caught up in what, what (laughs) the environment, like I get caught up reading it. Like just closing my eyes and imagining this amazing dinner party with these amazing guests, even outside of Jesus. But she is so, so in love. She has this desire for Jesus to worship him in this moment. She is so caught up. And her love for him is so intense. And then we look at this hall of faith, where the intensity of their love and their faith in, in the un, unseen God, who of course manifested in powerful ways all throughout the Old Testament, the one true God who, who gave them a plan and a purpose in life, that they it's counted to them as faith, that they have this legacy of worship, and it all starts with this intense desire and love. I want each and every one of you who are listening to have a legacy of worship, that your lives would be marked by your worship and your love of Christ and how that affected your lives and how that affected other people around you. Because when we have this intense desire and love for Jesus, it affects our environment. It affects the people around us. I was just talking to a friend this week how he was like, It's wild because I was just following God and what he was calling me to do. And this was in the context of relationship. And we found out from uh, a friend that she had just changed her life because of the example of him and now his wife's relationship. And that's so encouraging that as we just exist in this love, and are compelled and propelled, as we've talked about the last few weeks, by Christ's love, that it affects the people around us. It affects our environment. Our worship of God and our desire for him changes everything in our lives. If you sit down and you look at your life right now, is it marked By worship, I could be better at this. I could totally be better at getting into times of silence and solitude and being in the presence of God, totally caught up in Him. Life is busy right now, the world is crazy right now. And this scripture has called me to a place of focusing, refocusing on the worship of God and what that looks like in my life. I want to call you to that as well. Where are you at with this desire and this love for God? And the beauty of it is if you're like, man, I really don't desire God. I really like it's not on my radar on the day to day. Ask God for it, and he will give it. He will grow it in you. It'll start as, as a seed and, and a sapling, and it'll grow into this grand plant where you you will wake up and you just can't do anything before you, you spend time with Jesus, before you invite him in, before you you, you draw him into your situation, God, would you come? Would you be a part of this day? Would this day be marked by our relationship and our love for one another? Jesus loves you so much. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you and him could be reconciled and have a relationship. The amazing thing about in Hebrews 11, this this hall of faith, is they did not have the opportunity that you have right now. That because of the cross, his spirit comes and lives inside of us and causes us to cry, Abba, Father. That we, and and when we ask these things, God, would you increase my desire and my love for you? He, He gives us that. He gives us a love. He gives us a desire for him. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's be a people who ask God for an increase of desire and love for him. I love you guys. I can't wait to hear what comes out of this. And I'm looking forward to talking with you again next week.